It's time once again to belly up to the microphone here in this tiny little recording booth and lay down another, not just lay down, but lay down another fantastic episode of the Driving You Crazy podcast. Even though uh, I might want to lay down, it's been a busy day. I uh, that. Here we go again. I am traffic anchor for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. I am producer Joseph Peters. We call this Shoebox Studios, uh, and we're hoping we to go major. I, do you like that? I just sure, why not? I like that. Uh, I guess we should play Taps. I'll find the sound effect for the uh, transportation bill that was killed in the Senate Finance Committee yesterday. No more roads will be fixed in Colorado. I I wish they could find a way to petition this onto the ballot instead of having to go through all the houses of the Colorado legislature. I think that would be a much more interesting conversation to see how the people of Colorado really feel about it. I yeah, I I think they had some internal polling numbers that said it wasn't going to pass the way it was right now. There still needs to be it was close, but there needs to be more compromise, taking some more money out of the general budget and also having some kind of sales tax or gas tax increase. It's just a matter of what the right numbers are, what the right formula is, and obviously they didn't find that. Well, and it's how to sell a tax increase to both parties yeah. because that's the really difficult thing. A lot of people will draw the line in the sand at no new taxes. Right. So anyway, we move on from there, and I am fascinated by this story out of Australia where the 12-year-old kid got into his parents' car and he hit the road expecting to drive from one side of the continent to the other. It would be like driving from New York to California by a 12-year-old kid. He made it 800, mi- 800 miles. That's like going Chicago to New Orleans. 800 miles. Wow. Yeah. At 12. At 12. Now, the story I read said the kid was pulled over after police saw the car had a broken bumper that was dragging on the ground. So the car had obviously suffered some damage. So he, he did a questionable job of driving from Chicago I, to New Orleans. Uh, supposedly. I mean, I guess he got into some kind of an accident. Maybe hit a curb or something. His parents reported him missing immediately after he left home. So they were obviously looking for him. Uh, But this is part of the story that really got me. It says, The journey from Kendall to Perth by car would be a grueling, more than 40-hour undertaking, traversing the entire country across some of the world's harshest deserts, including the Nalarbor Plain. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. Nalarbor. Australian. (laughs) That was horrible. They say where little more than native animals and small shrubs survive in the sweltering heat. Australia's official tourism site advises visitors to take six days to cross the plane. It also advises that drivers carry extra gas and plenty of water and food. This is for a 12-year-old boy that was trying to drive this. I mean, the kid's parents nor cops, they haven't released any information about why the kid wanted to drive off across Australia. There's so many questions really here that need to be answered. I mean, how did he gas up? Did he stop to eat? Did he have food in the car with him? I'm not sure about bathroom breaks, but since he was heading to the wilderness, I guess maybe that would not be a problem. Just stop and then run out to the wilderness. Maybe the wilderness would have gotten him. I don't know. Where did he learn to drive at 12? I've taken my little girl. So Jolene likes when we get into the neighborhood to sit on my lap. She's five and a half to take the steering wheel and then drive around. So I guess she's getting some kind of... She at least has Lessons? the top part of it down. She just kind has to work of on the pedals. Yeah. I, I do have to, you know, steer her back straight every every once in a while. <laughs> uh, but you know, I mean, honestly, he did have one problem that caused damage to the bumper. But otherwise, he did, a, I guess, a good enough job to, to not have anyone call the police that a crazy kid was driving down the, the down the highways. Uh, what would compel a twelve year old to do this? Honestly, what would? 
a joyride, right? Ferris Bueller's Day Off. But that's not just situation. a jo- like a joyride is like just yeah, like right around Chicago, but right. across the continent. Yeah. Are there dark things happening here in this family that we just don't know about it? Mm. We're just unaware and probably will be coming out later. Kind of disturbing and fascinating all at the same time, right? So there's two details missing that I'd be very interested in here, and they're the height and the weight. Because if he's six two and two twenty, it's totally conceivable that he goes into a gas station and he's able to pass off as a sixteen year old who's just going out for a drive. Hey, but if uh, he's, your... I'm six two and two twenty. I mean, there are twelve year olds who are your size. All right, man. I'm two thirty. Okay, <laughs> I want to be two twenty. Eh, I'm two fifty. It's all good. Um, and but you two. <laughs> but I'm saying if he's five three. And 98 pounds, yeah. okay, what are we doing? Yeah, exactly. It, it's That's just weird, especially if he's just by himself. You wouldn't see an adult with him. <laughs> it's like when Macaulay Culkin went to the grocery store in Home Alone, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that didn't raise any red flags. So last week, I briefly mentioned my musings that I was going into the Whole Foods, right? I saw this Mercedes SUV with studded tires. Now, if you're unfamiliar with studded tires, there are these tires with these little metal bumps sticking out of them. They, they give you better traction on ice and snow. And personal feeling here, they're overkill in Denver. You don't really need them, honestly. Maybe in the mountains, but not, not even really then. Just good four-wheel drive uh, tires, good all-weather tires, that sort of thing. And, and, and now that it's springtime, change them out for your summer tires. Now, I mentioned this on my Facebook Live broadcast the last week, and someone from Evergreen, Evergreen is just up into the foothills here, it got a bit defensive with my point saying that she has studded tires, and she needs them because her road doesn't get plowed often enough. And, and at first I was thinking, well, if it's that tough to get around, then move. <laughs> but I couldn't say that to her. Then I said, this is more of a rant about studded tires here in Denver, not about studded tires up in the foothills. And now that it's April, it's about time to change them out for non-studded tires, right? I mean, that's what my rant was really about. Not how you can defend using your studded tires in your backwoods, unplowed neighborhood in the foothills. I'm Jason Luber. Yay! That's my rant. (laughs) I hear you. All right. So anyway, the, the, the other musing I had was as I was backing out of my parking space, I was thinking, how many times have I backed out of a parking space and nearly sideswiped the car next to me? Don't you just do that? Because I, I can, mm-hmm. I can't. You can't see the car in front of you, right? You can't see from that perspective, like you were standing in the parking space and watching this happen. So I wouldn't be surprised that I've come very, very close to hitting another car in my life. I mean, I, I've, I've been fortunate over my 31 years of driving not to hit a car yet in that way. Deep thoughts by the traffic guy, my man. Do you have any deep thoughts? I, I'm, I'm thinking we need to get that sponsored. Deep Thoughts by the Traffic Guy, presented by Hyundai. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, let's, let, let's go big. How about Lamborghini? My man. Let's, there we go. Let's go Maserati. <laughs> so you drive those with studded tires around Denver. Um, so, re- serious question, though. My wife drives to Morrison. We got snow coming up in the forecast the next couple of days. Does she need to change her tires yet? Or should does, she change her tires what, yet? What kind of tires does she have? She's got. They're not studded, but they're snow tires. And no. We, uh, does she ch- usually change the tires from snow tires to... All season tires. Well, we've lived in Vegas for the last two years. We haven't had to worry about it. So you much. have? Do you have like a second set of tires? We just got a second set of tires. We were going to change them the weekend after Mother's Day because obviously we listen to the folk wisdom out here that Mother's Day is when you plant things and change tires. But if we can do it earlier, I mean, why not? Now, now you say Morrison, which is right up against the foothills. Now, do you, I mean? Do you, are you up the hill or are you like? She right? has a steep hill to get up to her workplace because she's right in the shadows of Red Rocks the Amphitheater. Okay. 
it, it should be fine. I mean, you're, and your regular all-season tires, you're going to be fine. If you're going to need okay. it, you need the studded tires or need the uh, snow tires, then the buses would have the same kind of problem. Whatever the buses need, then you would need. Now, so where do the buses have studded tires in Colorado? Like, uh, they, in what if area? they have, they do all come equipped with chains if they need them, just because uh-huh. there are chain requirements in parts of the high country, and some of them use the I seventy uh, or Highway six to uh, get to some of the schools. So. Um, they use chains more than, but they have good all-season tires. Gotcha. You know. All right then. Now that we got that all solved, right? Obviously, everyone in the world, even the Amish at this point, have seen that video of the doctor who was dragged, bloodied, and screaming off the United Airlines flight. Right? You, did you realize that all the passengers who recorded that video? We're doing something that is forbidden by most, if not all, the airlines. So most airlines say, you may take pictures or video of your own personal events, but you may not photograph crew or equipment. And United Airlines says basically the same thing. You can capture personal events, but not photograph other passengers or crew without their consent or take photos of airline equipment without United's prior consent. So we all know that we can take as many pictures or video we want in public. I mean, that's not an issue, right? In, in, including of other people, even if they're standing in public. But aircraft belong to the airlines, and they can set the conditions for transporting you, and that can include no pictures or video. So all those people were breaking the policy. Now, there was a, a man a while back who was escorted off a JetBlue flight. He was taking video of himself on the plane. The man from Florida was flying from Palm Beach to LaGuardia. And during the flight, the crew chief noticed this man was recording some video, and he was told he wasn't allowed to take pictures or video during the flight. So the passenger said the member of the crew got really nasty about it and said, quote, hey, listen, we're going to confiscate your phone. And then it got worse for the guy because then when the flight arrived at the gate, he said the rest of the passengers were told to remain seated. And then he was escorted off the plane. And the Port Authority police held him for an hour while he was questioned about why he was taking video. He was just taking video. I mean, I appreciate this rule. I do not want my picture taken while I'm conked out on the plane, right? But what about if you're just in public, conked out in public? I still don't want That's my picture okay? taken. Okay. Well, four years ago, a blogger for the site Boarding Area was thrown off a United flight for taking pictures. I read another account about a journalist who was doing a review for a new flight for American Airlines. And he was taking pictures of the seat and of the in-flight meal and, and some of the surroundings around him, right? So one of the crew members said he can't do that. And even after he explained who he was, that he had authorization from the PR department, she went to the captain still to decide what was going to happen next. And the widespread use of cell phones, I mean, obviously, uh, have become immensely important to document events that, that prove really what happened when bad things happen, right? What, what would have been the scenario here if... if People didn't use their cell phones, in this case with a doctor, if they didn't record the video and post it for everyone to see. I mean, imagine that. Do you think United would ever change its story from the guy was unruly from the beginning and wasn't hurt as badly as originally claimed? Some of the Did you read some of the officers' accounts of how this guy hurt himself and it wasn't because they drug him off the plane? United, I'm sure, would have not apologized to the doctor or even considered making this a better situation or changing their policy to overbook flights if this video and all the videos have never been released, right? It's true. It's all true. So so I think the use of personal recording devices, as long as you're not harassing other passengers, I think they should be allowed. Now, maybe the best solution would be to install cameras all over the inside of the plane. Let's try that. 
Maybe that may, maybe the same way police cruisers have a camera, so the historical proof of what happened when things go south, like a body camera too, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe the flight attendant should wear body cameras. But there must be a provision that the video should be released to the public when it's requested, let's say, under the Freedom of Information Act. I know that's more for government stuff, uh, and these airlines are obviously private companies, but since they are flying under DOT uh, authority, right, then right. then why can't we have that instituted? Well, and if it turned into a lawsuit, that would be subpoenaed as well, of course. right, really easily. And, you know, taking videos of incidents like this shouldn't really be the passenger's duty. If the airlines were required to record, maybe it would change the way the airlines and their employees deal with the passengers that they're supposed to be serving. Mm-hmm. I mean, in that, and are we in a serving business or not? It's true. I mean, I 100% agree with you. And, and I think they think they're doing the service just by providing low fares, when in reality it's much more complicated. Yeah, I mean, I've taken lots of fl- uh, pictures on flights I've been on. Mostly they're of my kids or me and my wife in our seats, right? And I've never, ever been hassled about that. I, maybe it's just they haven't, the crew hasn't seen me taking the pictures. Um, I've, see, I've taken pictures outside the plane and inside the plane. Even when we're flying, you take pictures like pictures of the wing or pictures of stuff on the ground. I've done that. I've never been hassled for that. Um, occasionally I've taken pictures where there's passengers obviously involved. I've taken pictures of the plane where you could probably see passengers or the crew or all that kind of stuff. I've taken pictures or videos of uh, the people putting the bags on the plane. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's that's obviously against their policy because that's quote-unquote against uh, you know airport operations or crew operations or whatever they were Right. Stating. It definitely doesn't qualify as a personal event either. No, yeah. it doesn't. Not at all. So. Okay, well, speaking of the airlines, passengers really haven't uh, traveled faster than the speed of sound since the Concorde, right? Mm -hmm. Well, there's a new project underway called Boom. It's a supersonic airline. It's based right here in Denver, and they say that Boom Technologies supersonic airline that would hold 50 to 60 people would cut travel between New York and London to three hours. From San Francisco to Tokyo to five hours. I, I don't know what it takes now. I mean, that's got. It sounds like what New York would, to London's like six or seven, right, or somewhere between that range. Okay, so yeah, cut it in half. <laughs> they say it's going to travel at Mach two point two. For us regular people, that's fourteen hundred and fifty one miles an hour, two and a half times faster than any other airline. So there you go. So okay, I guess two and a half times faster uh, to get to London to New York. There you go. Uh, Virgin Airlines announced that they will buy the first ten airplanes produced. By the next decade, Boom envisions a network of of, uh, 500 routes with the goal to enable anyone to fly anywhere in the world in under five hours for $100. That's that's where it's not possible. This works in like a private jet marketplace, right? But you can't make this available to the public. That would I'm be just amazing. So skeptical. I know, me too. I, I, right now, they think the average cost of a ticket would be closer to $5,000. That sounds more like it. There we go. Uh, round trip, so they have some work to get that price down, obviously. Another problem in supersonic flight is currently it's prohibited across the United States. So that's why you see only these flights going on sea routes. But until that can be changed, you're not going to have a domestic supersonic flight. Okay. So flying across the world in just a few hours for a couple hundred bucks, that sounds like a great plan to me. I mean, that's the kind of thing where you could fly from, you know, let's say the West Coast over to Tokyo in, what, five hours? It makes it almost a weekend trip if it's just for a couple hundred dollars. No kidding. Australia finally becomes an achievable dream for this guy who's always wanted to visit. Yeah, it would really open up the world to so many more people to travel. I I hope it comes to fruition. That would be great, and especially since it's based here. Uh, it, they have a really nice hangar. I saw pictures of the hangar down at Centennial Airport. That's where I used to fly uh, when we were flying the helicopter all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just on the south side of town here, so I'm hoping for the best. 
And speaking of flying for cheap, imagine your next trip of a couple hundred miles, like from New York to Boston, or let's say Houston, Dallas, Tampa, Miami. The obvious choice might be to drive, because usually those places are close enough to drive. You don't want to go to the airport, the hassle, the time, right? Well, about 95% of the trips under 500 miles are taken by the car. But what if you could show up at a small regional airport, like Centennial Airport here just south of town, bypass all the security checkpoints, get on a small hybrid electric plane with luggage in hand, and be on the ground at your destination in about an hour for about 25 bucks each way. That blows regular airline travel right now out of the water. Yeah, sign me up. This is a company called Zunum Aero, and they hope to make that a reality. So the future traveler who normally takes a car, a bus, a train for regional trips, they, they really won't think twice about flying if this comes to fruition. The Washington-based startup says that since 2013, it's been developing a fleet of hybrid electric planes that would make those kind of inexpensive short-haul flights possible. Because they're electric, they can't fly across the country, but they can do little regional flights. And they could fly out of these smaller airports because the planes are smaller. Now, the company has some heavyweight investor partners. It also faces a number of obstacles, you know, battery limitations, obviously. But if they're successful, it could significantly change regional air travel, where options really have shriveled up and costs have crept up in recent decades. Um, Zunum Aero would also be like, they would like to fly longer routes, like 700 miles, like Atlanta to Washington, so along the eastern seaboard, or let's say 1,000 miles from L.A. to Seattle. So those regional flights, maybe they could do that if they get the battery technology to uh, support it. Right. Company executives believe operating costs for the company's hybrid electric planes could be 40 to 80% lower than conventional aircrafts. And a small range extending generator would be integrated into early planes kicking on, on longer flights where the battery power just isn't strong enough. So the eventual goal would be for battery technology to become advanced enough to have planes relying entirely on electricity, eliminating fuel costs altogether. Well, that's not really the case because electricity is usually generated by something. Now, right. If it's not generated by the sun or the wind, then it's usually by coal yeah, or natural gas. So there's obviously cost in that. So it remains too early to tell what the commercial aviation industry will look like in the mid-2020s, really in, let's say, 10 years, uh, and whether these one-way fares in the $25 range would actually be feasible. I mean, even now, it's not unheard of for low-cost carriers like Frontier or Spirit to offer uh, airfares on domestic routes for under 50 bucks. I, I, I took a $29 flight from Colorado Springs to Orlando one way recently. Um, it cost me another 30 bucks for my bags, but 60 bucks one way from Colorado Springs to Orlando, that's a pretty good deal. I mean, I think this mini jet idea has a lot of legs to it. I, re- I recall a few years back in Vermont, there was a very small regional airport that needed to add more flights to its calendar so that it would meet federal regulations. And so they started offering $1 flights from yeah. White River Junction, I believe it was, to New York City. Well, West- and obviously those sell out. Western Pacific Airlines, when they were around here, uh, they they were defunct now, but they used to have these mystery fares that I think it was for 25 or $35, something like that. It was something really cheap, under 50 bucks. Maybe it was 50 bucks round trip, and you go to one of five cities, but they pick the city. You know 24 hours in advance. So you buy the ticket, and you know when you're going. You just don't know where. And it was one usually one of uh, a couple of places like Phoenix or Vegas or, or Los Angeles. And, I mean, some one of these regional cities around here. And everybody ended up in Milwaukee, I, right? <laughs> I ended up, I took it, and I went to Phoenix. There so I go. immediately got in a car and I drove up to the Grand Canyon. <laughs> and then to Kingman, Arizona, where it's 
you you immediately got out of feedback. Yes, I, exactly right. All right, so let's take a time out. Have you heard of the smiling car? How about uh, fair market commuting? You will next as the Driving You Cra- Crazy podcast continues. I'm Dale Cedars, and you're listening to the Driving You Crazy podcast with Jason Luber. People need to tune into Denver 7 because we are a little interesting, a group of people. We're kind of like brothers and sisters on the newscast, which means we like to joke around with each other. We have a lot of fun. We keep things light. You will always find us laughing. And we also just give you everything you need to know. Dale Cedars, only on Denver 7. The most fun that I have is probably when we get to cover weather because, one, it changes all the time. And so it's something new literally every time we come on television. And then when we're telling people about the roads or about what's falling and we're really showing off kind of this is what the conditions are for you to know where we are, sometimes you can't help but throw a snowball or make a snowman or do something. And the photographers don't like it when we throw snow at their cameras, but we really do. And that's that's probably one of the most fun parts. Jason Grenauer, only on Denver 7. Welcome back to the world-famous Driving You Crazy Podcast. I figure, Joseph, the more I say it, the more likely it is to be true. Great theory. Uh, I'm Denver 7 traffic anchor Jason Luber. I'm the producer Joseph Peters. I don't really worry about being world-famous. I'm just trying to be Colorado-famous. No, we should, we've should. we got to go all the way. I mean, everybody drives. Everybody does drive. Well, just about everybody drives. And they all drive around the world, though. That's true. I think even in, don't they drive in Antarctica? Oh, yeah. Ice road truckers, right? I know that's, that's the Arctic. other side of the world. That's the other side. Yeah, I'm sure Polar bears good. in the Arctic, penguins in the Antarctic. Yeah. I've learned that from, I don't know, from one of those PBS shows that right. my kids watch. March of the Penguins, let's <laughs> be real. Something like that, maybe from Elmo's World. Okay, so we've talked about drowsy driving and sleepy driving before. Here's a story where a 19-year-old guy fell asleep behind the wheel and proceeded to drive right through two fences and splash down into a backyard swimming pool. This happened in Santa Clara, California. The kid woke up, good thing, uh, (laughs) was able to get out of his car before it went underwater in the deep end of that pool. The kid was snapping photos of his car as it was being pulled from the pool. They were great photos. Okay. Uh, The police say he was not under the influence of drugs or alcohol. Officers gave him a ride home. He was just tired, fell asleep. That happens. Uh, The pictures really are great. You You can see them on my Facebook page. I put them on there, Jason Luber Traffic Guy. Interesting. So his phone, uh, he was able to get out before the water really even started getting into the car. I guess so, because his phone still worked. That was my thought. How did his phone survive crashing into a pool? But But talk talk about a rude way to wake up and a tough call to make to the insurance company. Yeah. Uh, My my car's in a pool. Can you help? (laughs) Have you heard of the smiling car? No. All right. Now, before you cross the street, when you are going through the intersection, right, going through the crosswalk... Typically, you would make eye contact with the driver right there who's waiting, right? I mean, especially if I'm jaywalking, I'll make sure that I can see that the driver is not moving too fast. But it's really a visual cue to the driver to say, "Hey, I'm out here. Uh, don't run me over. I'm, I'm going to be walking across the street." Right? right. Well, that very human interaction is impossible with the self-driving car. 
So a Swedish technology company invented something they call the smiling car. Now, the front of the car is supposed to light up with a smile to show the car has sensed a pedestrian and then will wait for the person across the street. Technology we never thought of and we would think we would never need until we needed it. I'm, I'm creeped out. I wonder if they could program it to smirk or smile with like a lot of teeth. You know, give one of those big teeth smiles or give a fake like I'm posing for this picture, but I don't want to smile like my daughters do sometimes. Yep. You know, one of those. <laughs> what about one of those kind of smiles? Okay. Maybe if the car thinks you're attractive, maybe it can wink at you. It could. Maybe about a, maybe a tip of the fedora. Maybe it can have like a whole screen on the front where, where it has like a, a hat and it's tipping you. Hey, all right, I see you. I like the tip of the hat. We were talking about this in the newsroom a couple of days ago. I, I, we're like two steps away from Lightning McQueen here. Yeah, with the eyes blinking. Yeah, the eyes, the big like the, the big mouth, mouth that literally moves and it looks like mouth muscles. That's crazy. See, that's, that's what that's I think what we could vision here. I think it's I think it's great. And I, so I noticed a couple of ads for this new car service that's going to take you to the mountains from Denver International Airport. So there are a bunch of these companies that do that. Now this company calls themselves Mile High Chariot, and they say they offer this nice ride, nicer cars, better than the cargo van up to the major ski towns than you can get right now because they're pretty common. And it's a pretty common way for families to get up to the uh, resorts, uh, and it's a fairly cheap option for them. It's a van that looks like a super shuttle, um, but it's specifically designed to go up to these uh, ski areas, okay? Now, the price for this mile-high chariot, they're a bit higher than the budget companies, like charging $345 to get to Breckenridge, $375 to Vail. But how about driving somewhere a little bit farther? Aspen's a little bit farther, Right. $655. How about even farther than that? All the way across Colorado to Telluride. Beautiful part of the state. It's gorgeous. Love it down there. $900 one way. For a family of four, that's $3,600. No, that's for the whole van. So it's not per person. So if you rented the van, it's $900 to get in the van. Now, I don't, but you're right. You make a good point. That's the what they charge for the van, so I don't. I, I guess it would be for the whole family, because if you're not going to cut it up, let's say two families, maybe you're sharing the cost, right? Uh, yep, I see what you're saying. But, but look, I'm confident I could book right now a trip. I could get on the computer right now on my phone here, and I could find a round trip ticket last minute from DIA to Telluride for less money than nine hundred dollars. Honestly, I, I think I could. Not to mention it's a seven and a half hour drive from Denver to Telluride, one way, seven and a half hours. And that's in good weather. No, no, no telling how long it would take in the snow. I couldn't imagine that. They say they only employ highly experienced drivers who can handle all kinds of weather and all the cars are with four-wheel drive. Yay. Uh, they also say they're outfitted with all kinds of uh, weather for, out, for all kinds of weather and terrain. Uh, what are you doing, off-road and stuff? I'm potentially, right? You, we just talked about the snow. What if it, you get a blizzard? Are you really going to trust these guys? Yeah. Uh, so maybe these drivers making a bit more money than the drivers doing the same thing for the uh, cheaper company. So good look, good for them. I hope they do well. I hope this is a successful business. But honestly, I have a hard time thinking anyone's going to want to pay, or at least a lot of people are, are, are going to want to pay that much money, 900 bucks to drive to tell you ride. Honestly, that's a lot of money. I, I know I wouldn't. I mean, my wife and I have driven down to Telluride a couple of times, and both times we took the road less traveled. We explored along, uh, uh, you know, along the way. Right. Um, that's that's really the way to do it. If you're going to go see, unless you unless you just want to get there, then fly to Telluride. 
I agree. I, there's so many small towns in this state that make it really beautiful, right? Yeah, there's. I mean, there's there's really so many nice places to stop along that drive. Um, and even if you're just going to Vail or Aspen or whatever, that's still there's an airport not too far from Aspen that can get you there, probably cheaper than than what this this company is charging. Agreed. I don't know. So the other day, uh, someone was asking my thoughts on the Hyperloop. We really haven't talked about the Hyperloop at all yet, right? So the Hyperloop is that idea by super businessman Elon Musk who wants to construct this tube that will carry train-like pods, right, at mm-hmm. super high speeds, like 700 miles an hour. And he wants to build these high-speed corridors across California or the East Coast or even across the country. I'm all for this if it worked. I really am. I think it would take longer to get off the ground than what developers expect, mainly because of the right-of-way land acquisition. I think that's going to be a process that's going to take them longer than expected. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be a ton of government interference, a ton of it. And they're going to have to plow all through that. But once it's all, let's say, let's say it was all built out, all the problems were worked out, and it's and it's built and working. I think it's a fantastic idea, honestly. I mean, imagine if you could transport not just people but stuff. So imagine what a nationwide commerce would turn into if you could ship a truckload of stuff. Let's say you had the whole truck. Let's say just the back trailer end, right? Mm-hmm. And it was in the tube. And you could send it for 700 miles an hour from Denver to Chicago, make it go in five hours, instead of two days on a truck. Talk about revolutionary. That changes commerce for the entire nation. It does. It does. Well, and so Elon Musk, I don't think that it's possible for him to get the private funding to put together a nationwide network like this. But if you were to enter into a public-private partnership where the government is getting something out of it or where the government is sponsoring it and or straight up endorsing it, then you're having a different conversation. Well, why does Elon get a hold of the guy that does Amazon, Jeff Bezos, right? And then uh, maybe all the FedEx and the uh, the trucking companies uh, and UPS, all those guys. Because imagine how the commerce would change if you're shipping a package to these regional destinations. Let's say you are going to send it from uh, uh, Denver to Chicago, and you have that tube. And then you have these just regional hubs that then distribute from that point to maybe the regional area. I mean, it really changes the way we, we do commerce here. Completely agree. Completely agree. I, I, but you know what? If if when when people are in it, I really wonder what the ride experience would be. I mean, would you feel yourself going that fast? Do, I mean, because you really don't feel yourself going fast when you're in a car. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see the see the world going by pretty fast, but you don't get that sensation of going seventy miles an hour down the highway, right? Right. Would you Would you feel dizzy or sick? Do you think you get motion sickness? I mean, the world would be blazing past you at warp speed, right? Uh, isn't that part of what the vacuum is for, though, to keep you right in the middle? And I guess not because it's on these le- these this electromagnetic deal. But I, no, I think the tube is to help make it more of a like a semi vacuum to help lower any wind resistance. I so see therefore it can go faster. Um, so it'd be more efficient that way. But I, I mean, think about that. It, it would just be really interesting to be in that tube and. To, to feel what it would be just to go flying at 700 miles an hour down there. Yeah. Because they, they're looking at to keep passenger tickets to under 50 bucks, and they say it could be as low as 20 bucks. I mean, that would make a weekend trip to Vegas a lot more feasible if you're in Vegas in, let's say, an hour on the tube, and it costs you 20 bucks. Imagine that. Instead of just driving from L.A. to Vegas in a couple of hours, uh, and then you're back in L.A., because a lot of people do that on the weekends. You know that from being there, right? Yep. I mean, imagine if, you'd, if you make that regional from Seattle or, or from, from uh, Phoenix or wherever, where you could just go to a, go to a Vegas and just, for 20 bucks. I mean, I wonder how much of it would have to—could uh, you use existing infrastructure like the airports 
and right. and you convert those into hyperloop stations, are, you, are we talking about totally different construction? Maybe. Maybe. It's, it's a very interesting concept. It is. Uh, you know, coming back from Vegas, that ride might be a little bit more interesting. Maybe it would have to be a plastic seat covers because the speeds might make you a little bit tipsy. Or... Plastic seat covers, just like <laughs> everywhere else in Vegas. I do think this idea has a lot of hope, and I, and I, and I really hope to see it come online dur- during my lifetime. Because I think it would be great for the country. I think it'd be uh, fun. I, I think it'd be fun as hell to ride on the thing. Um, but to, you know, change the change the dynamics of of commerce and travel. It, it's interesting. Boy, you were right about it taking a lot of land, though. I mean, you're talking. Yeah. I don't. I don't even want to think about how many square miles that would be. It would be up above the ground. Um, but also, the, imagine the terroristic, uh, the terrorist problems yeah. with that, where somebody could just blow out the line, and then that ruins the whole thing. And how many tubes do you have? I, it's just. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. All right, let me introduce in, introduce to you a new term in the traffic and transportation world. It's called fair value commuting, or FVC for short. It's a proposal that comes to us from the Bay Area, and some people there hope it's going to eventually reduce the share of San Francisco Bay Area commutes made by single occupancy vehicles from around 75% to 50%. So reduce it by... 25%. Right. So the key, they say, to this fair value commuting is the cities around San Francisco would enact a citywide trip cap. That would limit the number of car trips through the region. So companies within the city would be permitted only a certain number of commuter vehicles to come there every day. The plan would then require companies to charge a fee of $3 per day to single driving employees with that money then going to providing alternative commuting benefits to other employees. So you're really subsidizing the non-drivers by the drivers. It would be enforced by using software on your phone that determines how you commuted to work. So it would know if you're in your car or if you're on a bus or a train or whatever. Now, Stanford University did a similar program where they put up a parking fee of 4 bucks a day on single-occupant vehicles and transferred that revenue towards the public transit and carpool benefits for other employees. And Stanford say their plan reduced uh, single-occupancy uh, driving by 25%. So that's why they think it would go down 25% overall in San Francisco. I mean, think of it this way. What would you stop doing if it cost you $15 a week, $60 a month? I, I would pay the fee, and then I would have to reduce something else I was buying to make up the difference in my household budget. So like you said, it's 60 bucks a month. So it would be, let's say, one less dinner out for me and the, me and the family. Or I'd have to cancel the sports package on my DirecTV or, or, or do something to make up that 60 bucks. I mean that's close to seven hundred dollars a year in money that I would otherwise have to I could spend on other things that would help out the local economy. I you know what it, I'm sure the local pizzeria would miss having my business once a month. Or let's say I I couldn't go out to the uh, Top Golf and maybe I couldn't see the latest movie until it comes out on video because I'm saving sixty bucks to pay for somebody else at work when I'm driving into work. Mm-hmm. I mean there's unintended qu- consequences for all actions like this. There's a long lot of things that I would stop doing if it was going to hit me like that in the wallet. Yes. I also commute here at 3 o'clock in the morning, so yeah, my transit hour. options are a little bit different, and I'm driving 30 minutes. Right. So, 
you know, is that is that taken into account in any of this? Because San Francisco, there's a lot of people that do these hyper long commutes, exactly, because they can't afford to live in and around the city. Well, and then then carpooling from there, right? If you have to pick up somebody who's 15 minutes away and it's a 40 minute commute to work, all of a all of a sudden we're talking about an hour, an hour and 15 just to get to work, right? And so my quality of life goes down because now I'm on the train or the bus and doing all those other. Uh, commuting tasks yep. rather than just driving. I mean, if this were happening here, honestly, I would be torqued off. I agree. I think the only way, the only way that I would be able to to be okay with this is if they let employees off the hook if they carpooled with their spouse, right? And if there's even if their spouse worked somewhere else and they were dropping the spouse off and coming to work. Well, then you're not a person. single occupancy driver. That's what I'm saying. I mean, but does the do the, does it have to be two employees? From the same business? Is that what they're counting it on? I don't know. I, You're right. I, I don't know. I'm very curious to see where this goes. I hate it, though. No, I hate it, too, because really the unintended consequence here is local businesses could lose out on money, and I could lose out on entertainment, mm-hmm. um, all because the money is being spent or taken from me to be spent on something else. Right. And if you want to nickel and dime it like that, why not just charge the company the fee? You know, like the company. Well, then the company's going to have to come up with the money some other way. So they're going to charge their customers a little right. bit more money, or you're going to get less money for the employees. So they're going to have to make up the money somehow. Well, think of it like, I guess, think of it how every company offers health insurance, but they also have a wellness program. And if you do well on the wellness program, then you don't have to pay so much for health insurance. Maybe it's a system similar to that where if you carpool most of the time, you don't have to pay these fees, even if you do go single occupancy a few days a week. Yeah, but that, isn't that kind of the same thing? Because where are they going to put that money that they – so let's say for me, I am driving single occupancy here to work, and so they're still going to charge me. So like on, on your example for the wellness program, you check off you're not a smoker. So right. Smokers are paying more for their health care than we are as non-smokers, exactly. right? So I'm a driver, so I have to check out, check off, yes, I am a driver, and so then I will be paying more for my quote-unquote health fee or parking fee than... Yeah. Yeah, it's a bad plan. <laughs> yep. All right, so finally, I wanted to bring up this. The Oregon Department of Transportation came up with this clever way to get people's attention, and they have them uh, focusing on safety instead of texting and driving by using mom messages. So these are some of the messages on the electronic signs over I-5, all of which are signed, Mom. Drop the phone because I said so. That's why. Mom. (laughs) Put the phone away. I'm going to count to three. Mom. Don't text and drive and eat your vegetables. Mom. I think they could come up with better ones than that. I don't understand why Mom has to be so naggy. She is naggy. Not only will the drivers see these on the Oregon Department of Transportation uh, signs, but they'll see them on their media pages. And according to ODOT, the signs are put up in places to encourage safe driving behavior in areas with a high number of violations. ZDOT has done a similar thing in the past here. They've told me one time they would take public suggestions for the messages when it comes to driving safety uh, on the big message boards, right? I haven't really seen any of those public messages, but they say they would take them. So just to take the other side of this argument, doesn't that make them pictureable? Like, wouldn't you want to take a picture of these funny signs and post them on Instagram and thus drive distracted? Well, and that's exactly what happened. Yep. Because people stopped to take pictures, or at least they slowed down to take pictures, (laughs) and then they posted them on their social media page. Of course. And that's how this story was born. Oh, smartphones. (laughs) It was so much easier without you. So let's go ahead and tell people that uh, not to be distracted and drive and use your phones and give them a perfect opportunity to do 
it with the phone. Clickbait. Is that what it was? Clickbait? I think so. All right. This was a jam-packed episode. Like I said, it was jam-packed, and that's why this is the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. My man. I'm telling you. Number one on the charts, allegedly. We, <laughs> if you put it on the, I think we are supposed to be number one on some chart. Right. There is a chart that we are number one yes. on. I don't know where that chart is. but I haven't found it. Maybe it's in the round uh, file. We'll track it down. It's over here in the newsroom. All right. Thanks again for listening, for being a part of the podcast. We do appreciate it. You can always get us at Denver7Traffic. And at Joseph Denver 7. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the traffic guy. I'm Joseph Peters, the producer. Be safe. And as always, happy motoring.